amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio.
And welcome to the Great Air Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. Uh, joining me in a couple minutes, uh, Kishi Free and Troy Wilson. Uh, here's um, your host, Oscar Lopez. We got an exciting show today, uh, Election Day 2016. So if you haven't voted, um, I hope you went out and vote. I just got into the studio a little late here, so I apologize for the uh, long, long intro. But uh, if you haven't voted, make sure you go vote. Uh, depending on what your uh, your polling site is, you can go to vote.gov, uh, get the location near you. Uh, it's very important that you go vote today. Uh, it's, it's always important to vote in any election. Uh, it's a freedom that's given to you based on this nation and everybody that fought for this right. So if you don't think it's that important, uh, it is very important. Your voice counts. If you don't vote, there's no other way to figure out whether your voice made a difference or not. So um, alongside Kishi Free and Troy Wilson here in a couple minutes, Oscar Lopez, we're going to be talking NFL uh, week, uh, basically week nine. We're going to be talking college football playoffs at this point. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the uh, women's gridiron playoffs in Australia coming up this weekend, gridiron Queensland to be specific. And then we've got gridiron New South Wales also. And then towards the latter part of the hour, we'll dive into Lexfa, Lexfa and FX Mexico, which is in full swing right now. We got off-season news as well. Uh, a lot of the top-tier WFA teams, the Dallas Elite, uh, the St. Louis Slam, and the uh, Utah Falcons, everybody else in the top-tier teams are now in the off-season mode, and they're ready to uh, get ready for 2017. So you can visit their pages. You can go to our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties. Um, on Facebook, and you can get the links to those uh, teams. They're going to have tryouts at this point. You can also go directly uh, to their site, the IWFLSports.com, IWFLSports.com for the Independent Women's uh, um, uh, uh, Independent Women's Football League, and then you can go to the uh, Women's Football Alliance site at uh, WFA at uh, WFA, uh, WFA Football on Twitter, and also. Um, WFA.net, uh, so we can get the links for you um, and get it up and running. Um, if you are interested in any of the uh, two leagues, or the major leagues primarily, there are sub-leagues sub, sub uh, in all over the country, especially in Texas and um, the southern areas as well, but for the most part, those are the top two leagues. As well as in Canada, the offseason has begun there with, with the Western Women's Canadian Football League offseason as well as the Maritime. Um, up there also, so you can follow them at the at WWCFL on Twitter at MWFL Football on Twitter as well for the Maritime. So it's exciting off season, and then we're coming into the trials for the USA Football. So you can go to at USA Football on Twitter or USAFootball.com. You get details on the trials that are going to take place for Team USA, uh, Canada. You can go to FootballCanada.com get the details for the Football Canada, both um, teams respectively. 2010 and 2013, the USA squad won gold while Canada took silver. So the top two teams in the world in terms of women's American football, uh, basically on this continent, so in North America specifically. There's new teams that are kind of come up to the tournament based on IFAB's uh, structure, and hopefully they get things together, and that's one of the key things that's happening right now. We'll, we'll be hopeful that IFAB things together and the tournament will go forward in success in 2017 as it did in 2010 and 2013. 
Um, some of the big NFL news that came about uh, Monday night, a lot more referee stuff. We'll talk to Troy and Nikishi here in a couple minutes, figure out, you know, what's going on with that in terms of the refs not being up, up to par. Uh, a lot of people are blaming the refs part-time for being their status. Uh, we talked about it at length in the previous podcast about um, Cam Newton, the issue with him where he's not getting the calls as well. And so that becomes a big issue in terms of going down to the playoff stretch. And if you don't have a healthy quarterback, uh, Russell Wilson this past, you know, yesterday played pretty good game against Buffalo. And even Buffalo played an outstanding game last night. Unfortunately, they come away with that, that three-point difference. And it turned out that the three-point difference could have made a big difference on that call where they didn't, they didn't call roughing the passer on Richard Sherman. And so that was a big issue there. Um, but we're going to talk about that going forward. We also have issues with, um, you know, the standings right now in the NFC. Uh, the Vikings kind of running up the first, first half here, and now they've come back to earth, five and three. Uh, the Lions looking to go up a little bit towards Minnesota. Um, the Packers are flat right now. Uh, even their quarterback can understand how their play is not so well at this point. So four and four, not acceptable in Green Bay. And even Aaron Rodgers admits this is not acceptable in Green Bay. Um, you know, you go to the Atlanta Falcons, who are riding high right now. The Saints place at four and four, kind of the same as Green Bay in a lot of ways. Uh, the Buccaneers at three and five, and the disappointing Carolina at three and five. Even though they get the they get the win in Los Angeles. Um, Carolina really struggling right now. Um, the Buccaneers, they're struggling. They got some talent up there, but Evans can't do it all. Um, so it's just uh, the, in the south, you're looking at the Falcons owning that. In the north, uh, Minnesota holding to a, a small little edge over Detroit, surprising Detroit of all, of all things with no Megatron this year, but you got Tate and company doing a good job there. Dallas, a surprise story of, from everybody at this point. We talked about it at length here. Surprise story, Doc Prescott, I don't see or I don't foresee him, Dallas, changing their quarterback at this point, which would be a horrible mistake in itself to take away um, the success that this rookie has had throughout the season. So um, we're starting to see maybe the fan base and Cowboy Nation really accept the fact that maybe Tony Romo isn't going to come back. And so that could be a key right there for, for Dallas in their stretch. They're coming up. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott uh, kind of reminds me of, you know, um, of Smith a lot in terms of Emmett Smith, but not there at that level yet. But, you know, the, the, the Witten connection, the uh, Beasley connection, it just seems like uh, Dallas is prime now. Seven and one, very good start. Um, they own the East, I think, at this point, if you really want to give it to them. Um, New York, new coach, uh, everything has changed for them. Odell Beckham with his problems at the beginning the issues that they've had there, um, even Beckham and Shepard. Now you're starting to see the Giants kind of move forward uh, and try to they're, – they're moving in that direction where they are be able to compete that way. Um, the Redskins still hanging around. Um, they got good defense at that point, but offensively they got to get it together. Uh, Carson Wentz and the Eagles, uh, they started really hot, and all of a sudden now you're, you're starting to see reality sink in in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, new coach, uh, the process there has, was really good at the beginning of the schedule. The schedule is going to get tougher at this point going forward here 
and that's the big deal that's going to happen there with some of the rookie quarterbacks. Uh, I think Dallas manages uh, a better uh, aspect of it. Like I've said before in, in the previous shows, I think Dallas is a better fit for da- Dak Prescott because of the fact that um, the coach has been in place for so long that he's able to supplement him with the run game and balance it out with the passing game. And so he's not forced to throw so much that he's there. In, in Philadelphia, we had the same balance attack similar to it, but I don't think he's got the experience there as, as the coach coming up for it. So um, we'll see how that turns out. Out west, we just looked at it last night, Seattle and, uh, taking on Buffalo. Really amazing game, probably, probably the best game of the season in terms of Monday night football. Uh, the Seahawks, at one point or another, were hanging around at the top dog. And this division is just horrible, to be honest with you. It's just a horrible division. Uh, you got uh, the Cardinals at 3-4-1. and one. Arizona has fallen off from where they were at two years ago. This point, they're you know they're at, they're basically four and four if you really want to give them that that record. And so you know Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald and company, uh, alongside David Johnson. I mean they got to get it together. They got to start turning this around if they want to really be serious about this division and maybe making the playoffs. Um, in Los Angeles, you can just forget it. I mean this coach is just you got a number one a quarterback on the sidelines. You got Case Keenum isn't producing what he's supposed to produce, and I don't even think you can point the finger at really at that quarterback. You got to point the finger at the offensive coordinator and the coach because this, this team is underperforming, and I really think they got a lot of potential. Gurley underperforming, Austin underperforming, but it's just a matter of the coaching staff not utilizing their team. They're using their defense to supplement this team's, you know, and they're losing close games because of the fact that they're relying on their defense. They're not uh, relying on putting up scoring points offensively, and that's going to kill them. And San Francisco, at this point, I mean, the carousel of quarterbacks there, who do we go with? You know, you go with Kaepernick. Um, you know, you go with uh, – I mean, who do you go with at this point in San Francisco? It's just – it's pretty bad. And one and seven isn't going to cut it. Um, it's just it's just a horrible situation for the Niners right now. It is one of those situations where you scratch your head and where were they two years ago, and then you kind of realize that they should be in, better, in a better position, and they're not. They should have, they should be in a better position, and they're not. So um, I don't know what to say, you know, for for the Niners. But uh, at this point, it just it's just bad. And so um, that goes to that goes to show you that you need to draft really well. And it's an issue where if you don't draft well enough, um, you get to the point where you I don't know you, you go down really quick. And then that's what's going on. Even Chip Kelly's offense isn't working. Like it was in Philadelphia, I just think personnel is missing there. I mean, they got a couple more things to do with, and and to make it happen. So, um, I but it's you know it's wait and see in that aspect of it. Um, in the AFC, you got you know you got Brady coming back, and the the Patriots seem to be on the upswing. And so we'll keep tabs on the AFC going you know in a little bit here and going forward. Um, so you know that's part of the NFL that's going on here. As soon as uh, Inkishi and Troy come on board here, we'll we'll start. Dive, diving into a little bit more uh, in terms of the NFL uh, Week 9 action that happened. Um, I, I want to just uh, be uh, bring out the fact that we are doing awesome uh, in terms of our platform. And I want to I say I'm appreciative of everybody that's follow us on Twitter. We're almost hitting 6,000 on Twitter as of this week. Hopefully we get to that level. And I really, really want to thank everybody that network, networks with us for allowing us to get to that level. I really appreciate everybody from day one 
Um, it's been a five-year journey so far, and we cannot be more grateful for that. I um, want to give a shout-out to two of the uh, amazing phenoms that we have going on here. Savannah Melton um, out of NLR in terms of uh, Arkansas, North, uh, North, North Arkansas. And so um, her team is basically kicking some ass out there, and you can catch uh, the highlights and as well as some of the updates on our uh, official No Joke Football page at, you know, on Facebook, and you can also catch it on the Gridiron Beauty's uh, Facebook page on Twitter, I mean on, on Facebook and on Twitter at Gridiron Beauty. And then we also want to give a shout-out to Kristen Moore, who um, has just been outstanding all season, and she's proven it. Two of the, two of the best kickers probably in the nation at this point, and top-ranked as well in Arizona and also in Arkansas, and we cannot be more proud of them. And they're obviously doing their part, and they're doing their best to do it. So I really appreciate uh, they are relying on us, and um, we try to support them as best as we can. And by doing that, you'd have to go to Zazzle.com on our shop. Uh, every sale that comes from Zazzle.com, every dollar that comes from the Zazzle.com sales gets reinvested into an athlete like a Savannah Melton or a Christian Moore, uh, a Christy Moran, a Lauren Evans. Um, you know, I can name uh, uh, many of the No Joke Football supporters that have supported us over the past two and a half years, three years. As our brand grows, uh, the level of awareness of a women's American football also grows. And if, you, if you've seen it here on our podcast before, uh, we're able to dive into the U.S. leagues because we live here and um, interview a lot of the top level players that are playing in, in the women's uh, leagues. Uh, you know, the Odessa Jenkins, the Callie Brownsons, um, you know, they come in here, the Holly Custises. And so we're able to talk to them about the feel and the pulse of the game in America, in the United States, as it, as it, as it presented here in the States with the Women's Football Alliance, as well as players overseas coming to the WFA to showcase their talents and express the uh, love and passion for the sport. And that's off, awesome to hear. So um, you can get the, you know, go to our, our shows. You can uh, actually check out our previous podcast, almost over 100 shows. And I, can be, I cannot be more proud. Over 100 shows now uh, on our actual Block Talk Radio podcast. So uh, I'm more than grateful for everybody to stick around and helping us out with that. So um, as we wait for um, Nkishi and Troy to come on here, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the NFL. I don't know, the feeling here is, the ratings are down because of the election. I just don't really see that anymore. Uh, I don't really think that's the issue anymore in terms of the election. I just really think it's the on-field play that's probably not good uh, in some aspects with teams, especially on the Thursday night broadcast. You got to see a lot of stuff that's not going on right. Uh, officiating issues as well. Dean Bellandino, uh, I know I tweeted him last night just to make him understand, you know, that the fans are just, you know, they're kind of tired of the fact that, um, just a lot of things are not being called correctly. Um, being the personnel, I mean, it's just it's just not good. And so, you know, Sherman last night, for example, uh, roughing the passer call did not get called. Uh, it wasn't a severe situation, but at the same time, it should have been called, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to be called. And so that's not a good sign uh, for, for the sport, especially if you're picking and choosing what you're going to call and what you're not going to call. And we talked about uh, Cam Newton uh, getting hits and hits and hits. And this is the MVP of the league, as uh, Kishi had mentioned before, and he's not getting called. So it's kind of depressing in that aspect of it, too, that it's not happening at all. 
So I don't know uh, what the league needs to do, but it, uh, what they're doing now is probably not working at this point. Um, so I don't know what's, what's the situation is going to happen there. But um, in the AFC West, the story of the year, I think, it has to be the Raiders at this point. If we were talking really the story of the year for the AFC, would have to be uh, Oakland. And Oakland has stood out with the combination of Cooper uh, and Crabtree and David Carr, uh, Derek Carr. Um, they've done some good things uh, against Denver. I mean, they, they did played a really good game against Denver as well. So the surprise leader probably right here would have to be Oakland, and we probably have to throw in like maybe Atlanta. Atlanta is one of those, you know, the teams that we have to look at in terms of the NFC and the AFC. Prizing teams. Uh, and Kishi had called it prior to that. So um, I don't know if, you know, that's going to be the case at this point, that they're going to stick around that way. But, uh, you know, the leaders there, the Raiders are fun to watch right now uh, because they got one of the best, you know, young quarterbacks in the league. And uh, Jack Del Rio, you know, isn't afraid to gamble. Um, And that's a good thing about Raider Nation right now. I think the Raiders – really appreciate the fan base I think really appreciates the fact that whether they go to Las Vegas or not at this point they're in a situation right now where they got a great team it's a good story um you know on the other hand you have the Falcons who have made a dramatic statement by going into Denver and you know earlier in the year knocking around and uh, the Broncos uh and you know that victory uh you know it's just you know we you've got to understand uh, Matt Ryan has kind of resurged himself with Julio Jones there and I think that's why Atlanta gets the edge. Uh, if you're picking and choosing between who's the better story, would it be the Raiders or the Falcons? I think the Falcons uh, might not have as good of a record as, as Oakland at this point, but uh, Matt Ryan looks like a, an early favorite for league MVP, especially with the amount of yardage he's putting up right now. And so that gotta, that's got to tell you a little bit about the coaching there in Atlanta and how they're basically doing a good job in terms of maintaining that offensive threat, especially in that division. Like I said, the Saints always uh, on, on their heels at 4-4 four and four right now. I don't understand, you know, the Drew Brees aspect of it, things, but they never seem to get over the hump at this point. They're, they're in second, which is a good, good spot for them at 4-4, four and four, but I just don't think in a wild card setting that they're going to make the playoffs that way. And so that, that's got to tell you a lot about what's going to happen there and what's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, seriously, the, it, anybody out there going to challenge the Patriots in the AFC? I mean, the Jets, not going to happen um, out of their own division, I mean. It's more than likely going to be Denver, uh, the champs. They're probably going to challenge them at this point. Uh, Trevor Simmons uh, has played pretty well at this point. The Steelers, uh, with with the quarterback issue, with Roethlisberger having the injury there. Um, others that might contend in terms of that would be like the Texans, um, Osweiler out there, uh, the Chiefs, nobody talks about the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have been staying under the radar at this point, even with Alex Smith and what happened to Alex Smith. So that's, you know, that's a key there. Um, but the AFC West is probably the, the division in the AFC that we really got to focus on and pay attention to. Even San Diego, as up and down as San Diego has been, um, still pretty impressive in that aspect of it. So, um, We'll see how that turns out in terms of the NFC um, picture. Uh, but, you know, you got to put it in perspective. It would be Atlanta, Atlanta and the Raiders at this point, the story probably of 2016 here in terms of the teams that are up and coming um, and, and that we, you know, we'd love to watch at this point. The situation in Dallas 
a little bit more prone uh, or a little bit more crucial in that aspect of it because, like I've said uh, said earlier in the in the broadcast, um, Tony Romo, uh, you know, the question is, will he play again? That's really the question at this point because Dak Prescott has gained so much confidence each week in a passing game and respect from his teammates uh, that as an owner, I don't think you want to pull the plug on this rookie. I mean, especially after Dallas, a 29-23 overtime win over Philadelphia. Uh, I don't think you want to do that. And now what, you know, the question is, what does it mean for uh, Romo in Dallas? Is he a permanent backup at this point? Is this something where people want to just maintain him for his uh, respectability? If he's done a good job in that aspect of it and trying to make sure that he's, you know, the player that they want. So I don't know if that works well for them or not. But uh, we'll see how that turns out for them at this point uh, on that aspect of it. So um, I, I want to think I, I want to think Dallas the Dallas fans would you know would not want to change quarterbacks at this point. Um, and given the Giants are only like a two game they only have a two game lead over the Giants, it's hard to see Prescott going back to. Uh, and that's usually the case if you get into a situation where you feel like the veteran quarterback is going to give you the better chance to win. Highly unlikely it's going to happen there, especially at seven and one. I just don't. I, I just don't see it at seven and one. I don't think Dallas pulls a plug on a rookie quarterback like that just because Romo comes back and he's healthy. Uh, I think he needs to ride it out. Maybe a situation where you get into the playoffs and something happens to Prescott, but the mobility of this young guy is there. The the vision is also there. The weapons, you know, that he's got around him. You know, we got Witten. You got Beasley on top of that, you know, um, it's, it's just too many weapons offensive and, and the balance attack with Ezekiel Elliott just makes it more, um, more, more of a secure job for him. Basically um, in the NFC North, as we talked about before, Green Bay or Minnesota, I mean, this is kind of like a toss up. Uh, the Vikings have come down to earth technically at this point, And the, uh, even their quarterback, the, the Packers, you know, even Aaron Rodgers cannot believe uh, they're four and four at this point in 2016. I mean, so I, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was supposed to be the savior of this franchise, and then all of a sudden they get they bring in Sam Bradford and they rally around Sam Bradford, and so uh, Adrian Peterson goes down with a knee injury in week two over over the Packers. They, they managed to still stay afloat for five straight victories. And there have been other key injuries, obviously, to them during that time frame. But North Turner and the Vikings continue to overcome. And so uh, that's really the reality right there is the fact that be, without Bridgewater as a presence, as they, were spo- as they were hoping for initially in the beginning of the year, they had nobody else. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a gift. Uh, at this point, it's a gift because Sam Bradford has played – so good through those coming weeks. So um, I don't know. At this point, do you you know you stay with you stay with where you're at, and it's their division to lose, in my eyes, because I think they really understand the crucial state of this. Uh, the Packers know how to win. If they get back on the winning trail, they have an excellent quarterback, a proven winner in Aaron Rodgers. Question marks become with Sam Bradford and the Vikings. Their running game right now, they don't have real receivers in that run in that offense besides Steven Diggs. Um, I don't know if the situation where they, you know, they're going to go that, but the Packers 
have their own problems, including uh, injury-riddled backfield and the fact that they're beginning a, a three-game road swing after dropping three of their last four contests. And this is where Aaron Rodgers' frustration was. It's like they're not playing up to their potential, and so what do we do now? It's like, you know, Jordan uh, Nelson is playing pretty good. He's comfortable uh, returning from the uh, ACL from last season. Uh, but, you know, Green Bay still, like I said, has their history on their side. They're a good team. Once they get, ro- once they get rolling, they have a good quarterback. Um, so, you know, after all, the, you know, Green Bay has not missed the playoffs since, like, I think 2008. So that tells you right there a lot of the situation that's happening there in Green Bay. So we're going to see exactly, how, you know, what the Packers are made of uh, in terms of, you know, how, they, how far they go at this point, how far are they going to go and how things are going to, you know, um, you know, refocus, are they going to refocus themselves or are they going to just, you know, continue to lose close games like they've done so far? Um, but, you know, let, let's just get into the ref stuff. Um, it's kind of sad that you got to have Dean Blandino, you know, I was on Twitter last night, especially with the 12th man on Twitter as well. And, Everybody, you know, the, the, the Bills Mafia on Twitter. It's kind of sad at this point um, that uh, Bill Blandino just comes out on Twitter and just admits the fact that that call was missed. It's just ridiculous. And so I don't know what to say at this point, but I would have to say, you know, you got issues, <laughs> real big issues. Um, so I don't know what to tell you at this point. Um, so let's, let's see. Troy, are you in? I'm in. Oh, and Kishi, hi. How's it going today? Hey, it's going great. Just been a crazy day, as you can imagine, here in the nation's capital. So, thanks for your patience. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm I totally understand. I was like running late myself because I had to get to the polling booth, and there was a line everywhere. <laughs> and then on top oh, of traffic, gosh. and even though I started, even even though I started early to get to a polling booth, uh, that usually doesn't. You know, I thought it helped, but uh, I got to a yeah, stage where um, I was here. I don't know if you, we got the long intro because I planned it that way. I figured I was going to be at least running behind. So I ended up plugging in two intros just to give Smart. us a 10 minute, you know, kind of leeway on there. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's so important that you have to go out and vote. That's what I was mentioning at the beginning of the, uh, the beginning of the show, you know, that uh, it's that important, you know what I mean? That we have to mm-hmm. go uh, voice our, um, our choice. Uh, whether you're one for one party or the other, it doesn't matter. Um, your views, yep. your, you know, anything that you feel is like something that needs to be done. Uh, if you don't show up to the poll, like I tell people, then it's a non-vote. So it's kind of like, right. you know, it's kind of like ridiculous to, to consider yourself an American if you're not even going to, you know, show up to the polling. And whether you like but one person not. or another or whether you're going, whether you're going but for a third party at this too. point, like some oh, yeah. people are. The, the fact is well, you have to vote. You, you know have what I mean? to say, you have to say something. Well, here's the other part about it. Not just voting, but make sure you understand the issues and, you know, kind of, and it, it, it also relates in so many ways to football. And I'll bring it home in just a sec. You have to also know the issues. Um, so oftentimes, and Troy mentioned this earlier, and it was a great observation that people are so focused on candidates that oftentimes they're not even aware that there are issues on the ballot that they have to vote on. And then when they get to the booth, they're like, wait, what is this? I don't know anything about this subject because there hasn't been any, you know, depending on where you live, there may not be any media coverage on 
you know, some of the initiatives on which they want people to vote. So you, you don't just have to be knowledgeable about your candidates. You have to be knowledgeable about the issues because everybody thinks, oh, I voted in the presidential election, and then they forget uh, there are much smaller issues that you have to um, face that you have to be knowledgeable about that impact you directly. And I'll bring there's you, a lot of things that there's a lot of things that impact you locally, as you're pointing yep. out, that a lot of people are not aware of. And so Absolutely. it's like it's, some people are not even aware of who the Republican or Democrat or third party candidate is until they get to that to the polling booth and then they go, oh, it's three sheets. Why am I? Why do I have three sheets? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. Is you got to know what's happening. But that's kind of looks like exactly. you, know, you were talking about, but that's just like what you were talking about with the refs. You know, one of the issues that I think um, has been brought up is the fact that there are so many rules, you know, with so many nuances to the rules, and it's a third party or the fifth party, but if it's a catch, but if it's not a catch, but if it's toe steps on the line, but on the round, but if he holds the ball, but if he touches the ground, keep it simple, stupid. You know, how are, how are we going to expect the refs to be able to do their job when half of them may not even understand their own job because of the simple fact that I, I was just, I just thought in case she, it was sad last night. I thought it was oh, sad horrible. last night that – I thought it was sad last night that Dean Blandino even would tweet something out and just not – why didn't he just wait? <laughs> because it was so Sherman, atrocious. You know what I mean? Because it was so it's egregious. Like, it was so egregious that his yeah. own credibility was on the line if he didn't address it. And now let me just say this. I like Richard Sherman. I have always been team Richard Sherman. So I'm very clear that I'm a Richard Sherman fanboy. However, that was an atrocious hit. It was an ugly hit. And what bothered me even more was for him to do the stare-down thing with the Ryan brothers when he, you know you were in the wrong. So here's the thing. My parents have always told me, I will defend you to the death as long as you're in the right. But when you're in the wrong, you got to deal with what the consequences of your choices. That was a dirty hit. Well, I won't rephrase that. Let me pull that back. It was not a dirty hit. It was a bad hit, and it was not a good hit. So when he did it, you knew you were wrong. You don't get to stare down the coach. Just man up, own your no, stuff. No, but, but you know what? Keep it moving. I can't blame him for that. That's what that's the whole point last night. I cannot blame him for that. He took advantage of the ruling and then the refs didn't do their job. That's the issue there. I mean, he should, if he okay if, if he ran into the if he ran into the kicker, you should, the refs should call and say, "Hey, you're you're done. You're out of here." Or by the way, you're penalized and you're on the sidelines or whatever. But they didn't even do that. And I'm fine. But I'm fine with that. That okay, he's right. The refs didn't take advantage of it but when the coaches are no, calling you out and but if the coaches are calling you out and cussing and screaming for what you did and you know you were wrong don't stare them down like what what you going to do that's the part i felt was unnecessary because that to me was like dude that's not cool you know you were wrong you got away with it keep quiet and and stay out of the spotlight for the rest of the game don't keep agitating an already contentious situation from something you know you did. You know, that's why, you know, it it's was kind bad. of like. It, I, think it was, it, I think it was bad because it just seemed like the Bills were getting screwed. <laughs> yeah, bad. they were. That's what it looked like. Yeah, they were. Uh, they they absolutely were. And, um, and, and I want to jump on the um, Packers game really quickly because for those people who don't know, I was actually at the game. And I'll tell you what, yes, you can were. I just say, I'm going to say this, 
because that was one of the most amazing experiences I have ever had in my entire life. Now, we all know that I bleed blue and silver. Okay, there's, I don't hide it except for Sunday. I just didn't run around proclaiming my cowboy's love because that's disrespectful. But it was one of the most amazing experiences. Packer fans, I have to give you credit, are some amazing fans. What a storied franchise. And just the awe and the moment of walking in and seeing that huge sign that says, Welcome to Lambeau Field. Can I just tell you I had a grown woman tear? It didn't fall, you know, but when you're staring there and you're looking at, you know, the huge banners of Reggie White and Vince Lombardi and, I mean, just Brett, um, you know, Bart Starr and Brett Favre and, I mean, all these banners are just hanging everywhere and you see the names and, you know, and, of course, Curly Lambeau and you're just like, you know, and Ray Mitzi and you're just like, I'm really here. Could I? So let me just say that. But the fans were great. The energy of that place. I know everybody talks about the 12th man. Okay, I can't wait to get to Seattle. But can I tell you the energy in there? They had me into it, you know, yelling, go, Pat, go. Just the vibe was amazing. And that is a – I have so much more respect now for the Packers fan base. They, they they get my respect because they are an amazing group of people. Now, to the game itself, there was a lot. They were off. You know, there was no connection between, um, you know, Jordy Nelson um, and Aaron Rodgers. And, what, and I really don't understand how the Packers lost because the Colts gave Aaron Rodgers so much time in the pocket to scramble. But what had me confused and perplexed was that the old Aaron Rodgers, with that much time and space, would have just run for the first down. And he didn't. And I, instead, he just kept getting sacked and sacked and or throwing the ball out of bounds. And, I, and I'm just sitting there like, dude, you have wasted five minutes running around when you could have just been down the field because they're giving you the time and the space. So I, I, I was thoroughly confused by the decision-making, I think, of Aaron Rodgers, you know, watching it live. Um, the other thing that had me thoroughly complex, perplexed was you've got HaHa Clinton Dix giving you massive turnover, two interceptions. He's and puts you in great field goal range, and you miss the field goal. Just everything was totally out of sync, out of rhythm. Definitely, you could tell that Clay Matthews was missed. You could tell that his presence was missed. He's truly a defensive leader, but HaHa Clinton Dix was on it. Julius Peppers, not as fast as he used to be, but he definitely, again, still that presence was there. And I really was just confused because the Colts did everything they could to give the game to Green Bay. And And Aaron Rodgers came out and challenged his his team, you know, he did question the fact that they're just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, I mean, but I think reality is that. They're not just not just, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Just, okay, so then you could tell because he was holding the ball too long. And he was. And then here's the other part of it. There were so many times when they were at three and four, three and two, you know. And instead of just going for the simple, just get the first down, you know, 
he was going for the long bombs. And you're at three and four. Why are you throwing the ball 25 yards down the field? That's the part. Those are some of the questions and decision-making on Aaron Rodgers' part last night that had me totally just perplexed and confused. Yeah. Hey, Troy, welcome. I hope you voted. Hey. Get your thing out of the way and good to go. How's it going, guys? I, I mean, I hear we're talking about Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I have my uh, have my little analysis on that also. I don't know if you guys already talked about it. Uh, so let me go ahead. And no, throw we're just we're there. just talking about it. Yeah. Uh, so one thing with Aaron Rodgers, um, and and we saw this last year when Jordy Nelson went out. What your what you had last year was Aaron Rodgers. His numbers started to take a dip because his receivers couldn't get separation. Um, they weren't getting separation like they were used to. Jordy Nelson obviously was their biggest threat. He was also a, a really great deep threat for them. And now he's a little bit slow. He's still effective, but he's not the Jordy Nelson that you had last year. So that's one thing. You also keep in mind that the Packers are now down to their third and fourth – well, their fourth-team running back, which is not even a running back. He's a wide receiver. So they have no threat virtually at the running game. I mean, they're playing with, you know, just a wide receiver at the running back position. And while he looks the part, he's not well-versed to playing a running position. He has played since high school until this season. And, you know, some people will come back and say those are excuses. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're missing Clay Matthews. Their top two corners are out. So, I mean, they they have a lot of holes. And this is like, you know, part of course for the Packers. It just looks like this year those injuries are starting to catch up on these guys now. And they're not able to overcome them with the play, uh, with the stellar play of Aaron Rodgers, because now he's also missing weapons. Also, and just face it, he's getting long in the tooth as well. I still think he's one of the upper echelon quarterbacks, but he's still at the point now in his career where he can't do it all by himself, and he's going to have to have help. And right now, he's just not getting. No, agreed. I think I think it's an issue now because you're looking at all that coming together, and you can see it on the field. And uh, as Inkeisha said, they had a plenty of opportunities with the Colts giving them, and they just they couldn't they couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, and, and again, it, it kind of limits your play calling. I mean, in case you brought up the point that you know they were on third, and, you know, they were third and four situation, third two, where normally if you had a guy back there uh, like Andy Lacey, you would you would you know say that's a threat to run the ball, but if you don't have any running backs. I mean, you don't have any running backs. And you're playing wide receivers at that position where you got Randall Cobb back there, you got Ty Montgomery running the ball for you. They're not much of a threat to run the ball anymore. So, you know, you have to come back and say, um, you know, if I'm a defense, if I'm a defensive coach, I'm playing the pass. And, you know, they're going to have, you know, um, Aaron Rodgers back there. And, you know, what he does is he tries to buy time. And he, he he scrambles and he scrambles and and you know they brought up a graphic also during the game is that when he holds the ball longer than three seconds, his percentage of completion goes down. And I thought that was that was incredible because I thought that was one of his better attributes being able to keep the play alive. But even when he keeps the play alive, I mean at that point his receiver still can't get separation. So I mean that kind of tells you you know what they're working with number one at the wide receiver position and also what they're missing at running back. They they really have some holes to fill, and I, and another thing I wanted to bring up, don't forget that they did uh, cut Josh Sitton, uh, their their starting uh, guard, 
that they had this year. So, and they were already having pass protection problems last year. And, and now, you know, with that, with the guard, you know, with Josh sitting being out, that just exacerbates their process. So they're missing. They're they're really devoid of a lot of talent that they had on that unit. So are we looking at right now? Are we looking as uh, Vikings and Lions as the serious contenders in the North? Then, because you at this point, based on injury and what we're talking about here, the Packers are going to really be not that big of a factor. And given uh, you know the early success that the Vikings have had, like I said earlier, uh, the one thing I cannot do with with Detroit is 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 trust Stafford. You know what I mean? It's just that you can't. I don't know. Just I can't. Say for sure right now, Detroit's going to just, you know, win the division or whatever because they've 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 always been questionable in that sense. Even with the Golden Tate there and all the other weapons they have, uh, Minnesota, you know, with Bradford and company, uh, they did pretty well for the first couple of weeks and now they've come back to earth. So, what do you guys think of Detroit and Minnesota in that division? I don't, and I sound ter- I'm Minnesota just because of the history of the franchise. Yes. But as far as Detroit as a serious contender, no. Um, we Chicago is an anomaly and, and and has been because it depends on Jay Cutler. You know, he's like a light switch. He's some days he's on, other days he's off. I think that um, people have started to figure out Sam Bradford now, you know, because how much tape did they really have on him? You know, this this season is probably the most the, the poor child has played since he got in the NFL. I mean, I'm no not completely, but he always stays injured so much. And I and I think Troy was right; they've come back to earth. I honestly think that we're at the halfway point. Green Bay has time to turn it around because I think that now is about the time that they get their boosters going, and and I think now is about the time that Minnesota is going to phase out. And like you said, uh, Stan. Um, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew Stafford, he's too inconsistent. I'm with you. I don't trust him. I think Minnesota can pull it off, but it's going to be tight. Um, I think what, what what you're seeing is, is you know, number one, Minnesota is a team that's in just incredible flux right now. Um, you already, you know, went behind the eight ball when they lost Adrian Peterson for the year. Then you had Jarek McKinnon who went down, who was a second-string running back. So you're also having an issue at the running back position at, at, in Minnesota. Um, then you have Sam Bradford, wildly, wildly inconsistent. Um, you know, and people can sit back and say, oh, he's still doing the offense. Well, they, he wasn't doing the offense when he was, you know, when uh, during that five-game winning streak. I mean, then he was a savant. He was, you know, resurrecting his career, this, that, and the third. They lost four straight games. And some of those games, I mean, they weren't even close. Like, they, they really got blown out by the Bears, you know, um, two Monday nights ago. So, I mean, it's, they're on a free fall right now. Now, they can hang their hat on that they can still play defense, but they, they're really not getting much help on the offensive end. They don't have any threats at wide receiver. Um, you know, they, they had some guys that they were trying to count on, um, you know, the, the rookie Treadwell, um, out of Mississippi and, um, it, it's just not panning out for them. But on the other hand, I know people are down on Stafford, but the one thing you've seen from Matthew Stafford is, is that he's finishing games. Um, he had the, you know, the, 
the last second, the last minute drive against the Redskins. He brought his team back and they won. Um, the last, you know, in the, in the overtime game against Minnesota, he brought his team back in overtime. So, and they also don't have a running game as well. So it's like you have the three top teams in that league that are struggling to run the ball. Um, and so they all have their weaknesses. But right now, you got to say Detroit's playing the best out of all of them. But the, the caveat is, is that when is Green Bay going to get healthy? When are they going to get their running game? You know, when are they going to, when are they going to get their most of their weapons back? And uh, this is, you know, so a lot of this depends on who's healthy at the time. And it's, that's why it's kind of hard in the beginning of the season and even in midseason to sit back and try to project who's going to do what because you never know how these injuries are going to start to play out. But it's definitely going to be interesting in that division. There. You know, it's kind of crazy. You know, if... I think they remind me. I think for this is really going to be crazy, but the NFC North right now, um, they look like, and I said, I think I may have said this last week, they look like the NFC East for the past two years. There's just so much parity that it's, it's a toss-up. It's anybody's game. It's anybody's title. It's anybody's division right now. Yeah, because, I mean, you can have the you can have the Bears go on a two- or three-game winning circle. Everybody else falls within the next couple of weeks, and everybody will be neck and neck again. So, um, yep. especially if Green, Green, Green Bay gets back on track. Um, in the NFC East in Kishi, uh, the the whole story now at this point, you know, nine nine weeks in, the whole story is: do we bring back Romo or not? I mean, because you know Dallas is basically on a roll. They own the division right now based on you know, the amount of wins they got. The kids played well. The running game's doing well. Uh, the receiving core is supplemental, you know, to the balance attack. The defense isn't so, you know, isn't really, you know, that you know, it's just good. It's it's it's, it's a solid defense. Um, the only the only issue here is uh, the Giants coming up. Uh, you know, first year coach, and then uh, obviously veteran squad. You got a veteran quarterback in Eli Manning. Uh, Philadelphia dropping like you know like a brick and water right now. Not and, and no disrespect to you know the young Wentz, but I just think that you know they got they got things to work on, especially as we get deeper into this, the next nine weeks here. And then you have uh, who else do we got? The Giants, Eagles, and, and then the Redskins basically at 500 pretty much at this point. So. I mean, Dallas, do we bring – Do you, I mean, is is it even – no. can we just laugh and say you have to bring Romo back? No. And that hurts to say it. I would rather at this point just keep getting him healthy because even if, he, even if his back is healed, as Troy has pointed out, he's not in football shape. His back might be healed. But he's not practice ready. He's not practice shape. He's got to take time to build a relationship because here's what he has not done. He hasn't built the relationship or chemistry with Ezekiel Elliott. And one of the things that made the triplets so great was their chemistry. And when you don't have chemistry with your players, you can see, especially in Green Bay, what's happening you do, you make bad decisions, you make bad passes. And one thing that I have to respect that Prescott for doing is he's going with the players with whom he has chemistry, not with the players that people want to see. Because the reality is Cole Beasley wasn't getting um, that many looks from Romo. 
It was Dez and Witten, Dez and Witten, Dez and Witten. And now you've got Dak Prescott who was working, you know, with the second and third string guys, and now that's who's getting the look. That's where the chemistry is. Because if you notice that this is only Witten's second um, TD and really almost the second pass, I think, that he's gotten from Dak because Dak doesn't have that relationship with him. And then you have to factor in the fact that Des Bryant was been out with injury, so Dak hasn't even had a chance to build a relationship with him. Leave it alone. You have to decide, is it more important to have Tony play or is it more important to bring home the Lombardi? And after seeing all four of them in Green Bay, I need my, I need my thumb. I need number six back in Big D. Is it going to be the Giants then challenging, uh, challenging the East then at this point, Troy, or is it, or are the Redskins going to pick up their, you know, their their pace here? Well, here's here's the thing. Okay, um, the the Redskins are, are are going to be the biggest threat, and this is why. Um, the Redskins have potent offense um, as far as um, you know out of all the teams in NFC East. I know everyone wants to talk about Dak and talk about Elliott. But if you look at the numbers, the sheer numbers, the Redskins are in the top five, top three of the offenses in the NFL. Their issue is red zone scoring. So if they can short it up, you know, they can they can definitely make some more noise. And then also they've improved defensively. They they cause a lot of turnovers and they 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 really force those plays. And when you have a when you have a team that is as opportunistic as them. You know, you have to, you know, teams are going to have to be wary of that. And they, the last two years, the Redskins have forced a lot of turnovers. And not to mention that, you know, right now, the Redskins are 2-1 on in the division. Uh, the Cowboys are 2-1 in the division. Now, the Cowboys and the Redskins play each other on Thanksgiving. The Cowboys play uh, New York, who they've already lost to this week. So a lot, of this, a lot of this stuff is going to start playing out over the next three weeks as far as who's really going to be the team to beat. Also, you have to keep in mind that the Redskins do have that tie, and that is going to play a role whether or not, you know, on, on who gets into the playoffs at the end of the season. That is a tie, and it's not as good as a, a win, but it's not also as bad as a loss. And you can already see how that's starting to unfold. It's because of right now, if the playoffs started in the NFC, the Redskins right now will be the sixth seed, and they can always play Dallas tough, and Dallas knows that. That's interesting to note right there because that's that's something that people sometimes will overlook and they don't look at the true numbers and they kind of realize oh they, you know they're done. Um, so what do we say about Philly right now? I know Troy, you hate Philly, but uh, what do we say about Philly right now? You know, is is it just they they their schedules just got tougher, or is it the fact that somehow everybody's figured out what their basic uh, execution in, in terms of an offensive threat is? Well, I mean, they're they're playing with a rookie quarterback, and you know, let's let's just keep in mind that everybody's going to play like Dak Prescott's playing right now. Not everyone's going to play like Andrew Luck and RG three did in their rookie seasons. And it looks like to me that he's hitting a rookie wall. Number one and number two, he just doesn't have the weapons around him to succeed. Um, you see some good things from him, but to me, honestly, right. when I look at him, and I'm not being biased here when I say this, I just don't see star player when I see this guy play. He makes Who, some Carson plays. Wentz? But, but, yeah, Carson Wentz. I just, you know, to me, is he's more like a, a a red-headed Alex Smith. He's a serviceable guy. Oh. Okay. So, I mean, he, just, he he really doesn't move the needle for me. But but at the same time, 
his biggest weapon right now is Darren Sproles. Uh, if, if they learn how to use some of the players that they have, like um, like Trey Burton, uh, the rookie tight end out of Florida, I mean, this guy is an absolute athlete. And just let me let me say this right now: in three years, you guys are going to be looking at him like you, like you look at Jordan Reed. He has that kind of a skill set where he's a former quarterback, uh, but he switches tight end. He's an extremely great athlete. But if they feed this kid the rock, they can do great things with him. But right now, Philadelphia just doesn't have the weapons. They have some good players on defense, but a lot of that, a lot of those defensive statistics came at risk against some really bad teams. And when they play the really good teams. The good offensive teams like the Redskins. Redskins ran for 260 yards on them. The Redskins been having trouble running the ball all year. And you know, you you, you also saw the same thing with Dallas. Dallas moved the ball at will against these guys. So you know, Philadelphia to me is probably the weakest team, but the NFC East overall is very strong overall. I agree, and you're right. But I'm not discounting the skins at all. And you're and and I saw the same stats earlier that said that if the playoffs were today, that um, the skins would be in. And I think that um, for us to lose to the Giants, you know, with our only loss being a divisional loss, that is going to hurt us. So we don't have a choice. We have to win out the rest of our divisional games in order to make sure that it doesn't come back to bite us in the butt in the end. But I, I think what I am happy to see, even though Wentz is not, you know, we're, again, they're starting to figure him out. You're right, he absolutely has no weapons, and Darren Sproles, you know, is getting extremely long in the tooth, and I don't know how much longer he can keep all of that up, and their and their defense is, you know, still serviceable, and they're trying to figure them, you know, really find their way under this, um, you know, new coach. But what I what I think is that I'm happy to see that the NFC East is starting to become relevant again. And as much as I hate to say it, I am not counting out the Giants yet because they have a history of turning on the boosters midway through the season. I mean, that is like the Eli formula. He's like a – engine you got to crank up just got to crank it crank it crank it crank it crank it but once it gets going it purrs and moves along quite nicely and I think that that's literally been Eli's legacy look at the majority of his career before the midway season the Giants have always just been a 500 team and then after yeah, they get through their after they get past their buyer or halfway through then that's when Things start clicking, the chemistry, the timing, all of it, and that's why I never discount them. Both times they went to the Super Bowl, no one expected them to win, but they they started winning at the right time. Well, because once they true, they but... last team in the in, they were the last seed to get in the playoffs that year that they beat the last time and they beat um, Brady. Yeah, you know, and the Giants they you know they won three straight games now. Um, not necessarily against the best competition. Uh, sorry about that, Oscar. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, they, they won three straight. So that's, you. You, you take a, you take a little you take a little bit of salt with that, you know, and and that's fine. But at the same time, when I see the Giants, I, I you know they have great talent at the wide receiver position, obviously. But they are they have so many deficiencies that I see. Their offensive line can't protect. 
I mean, they've, they've gotten better than they were last year when they were complete sieve last year. I mean, you had basically at the offensive line last year, you had five turnstiles, and that was it, you know. But this year, you know, they've, they've gotten a little bit better. On defense, they have no one that scares me on defense. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Janoris Jenkins on the corner. He's probably your MVP, but you see him get beat a couple times. Uh, you know, you have um, uh, what's the kid's name out of Alabama? Uh, he's making big plays out there in the secondary now at, at the safety position. But they really don't—they really don't scare me. I mean, I've seen them just get beat in so many different instances where I can sit back and say, you know, they're not consistent either. So what you have is you have one consistent team in the Dallas Cowboys, who are on on every phase of the game, they are balling. And you can't take nothing away from them. And then the rest of the, the other three, the Redskins, the Eagles, and the, and, the, and the Giants, they're extremely, extremely, extremely inconsistent. So whoever starts to become that more consistent team, I think you'll see them rise out. Now the Redskins have a history of doing this. They have a history of starting at the end of the year, starting to put together, string together some wins. They've done it last year. They did it in 2012. It's not out of the realm of possibility to see them do it again. You you make good points on that because they've always been able to kind of rise to the occasion. Um, while we're talking about, you know, that, um, we we have to talk about the Browns and the Niners at the bottom of the barrel. Um, do we have you know to? east and west? We do. Who's 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 the most horrible squ- uh, team right now? Because y- you look at the Browns, okay, they're miserable. I mean, I think this is like I think they uh, the they're straight uh, what twelve straight games going back to last season. They're like three and twenty seven in the past thirty, I think. And they've they the last time they started zero and nine was in seventy five. Um, I don't know. They they can't muster basically anything at this point. Uh, through nine games, I think uh, I, I had my notes in here. Let me see. Through nine games, uh, the '64 Denver Broncos were uh, were the ones that allowed at least 25 points in their first nine games. And so, um, you know, is is Frisco worse? I mean, if you look at the bottom of the barrel, the only reason I'm talking about these teams is uh, they, you know, the Browns we know historically are horrible. And, and having right. the new coach come in, you thought they were going to, you know, they hadn't played as horrible in the last three weeks. You know, prior to this, they were still being competitive. But, you know, it was just kind of like the Cowboys uh, bye week. Uh, they just basically just used them as, okay, let's just, it's a practice squad mood and that's it. But uh, San Francisco, we talked to Holly before. Uh, what's going on? What do you, I mean, give me your, you guys just give me your take. What is going on in Niner Nation right now? I mean, they're one and seven, and so you know, Kaepernick issues and all. You can throw that. <laughs> I think you can throw that pretty much out the window now. In terms of San Francisco, you can't you can't blame the whole season going down the pits uh, on a quarterback stance uh, on a flag. You know what I mean? It's just it's just ridiculous. Right. That has nothing so to do with I, it I think because it's, it's more than that. You know what I mean? It's well, way more than that. But you have a quarterback who was dealing with a major injury who is you know really trying to get back in football shape. So it's not just that he was out, but, you know, people have to – they've been so distracted by the kneeling that they forgot about the injury. And so I think that that, you know, is is critical and part of it. Um, As far as the Browns are concerned, 
I honestly don't know what to say. I mean, we can turn to Troy, who's going to give us some awesome stats, but at the end of the day, they have given up. This is a team that has given up, and I just want more than anything in this world for them to fight to not become the next Detroit Lions. That's what I don't want. I don't ever want to see another team not win a single game in a season. Like, I never want to see that again in my life. I want to say – I want to be up front with you guys. I want to say this is the this is the best feeling for a Rams fan after getting our asses kicked twenty to zero in the first week, and now to see them in a miserable state, it just makes brings a smile to my face. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I'm talking about this right now is because it is a miserable state of San Francisco, and everybody that poked a finger at me at the first week where they laughed at me and said, "Oh, you got your ass whooped." Last week I told that same guy, "Where is your ass now? <laughs> your <laughs> ass is whooped. Yeah, one in seven. Yeah, and so yeah. he walked away pretty pretty fast. And the reason I'm yeah. saying that is because they they thought Chip Kelly was going to come in and just revise everything. And somehow I don't oh, know, maybe this of offense is a killer, a killer offense because of his the way he's managing the offense. Or Troy, is it just they don't have personnel? Is that what it is? They just don't they, have the they personnel. They don't have the personnel." Hyde has been injured. So here's the thing. Everybody thought Chip Kelly was going to come in and be this great savior and that he and Carlos Hyde were going, you know, he was literally going to ride Carlos Hyde all the way in his fabulous legs all the way to the playoffs. He ran him obviously in the ground too much. Hyde's been injured, what, I don't know. He's been questionable for, the what, the past two to three weeks. You know, just that's not a way to play. Yeah, you keep putting the questionable. Yeah, he might play a little bit, might get in a little bit, but – He's not consistent, and there are no weapons. That's the other thing. They have not drafted well. They have not traded well. And then you have Blaine Gabbert to start, and then you have an injured Kaepernick. You have no weapons. You have nobody out there. What do they expect you to do, wave a magic wand? There's nothing there. So they just be happy that you won one. First, with the with the 49ers, um, they're a dumpster fire. It's as simple as that. Um, Kaepernick played a lot better last week, and I was happy to see that he looked he looked sharper. The one thing he wasn't doing was you know taking the you know taking what the defense gave him and taking the short passes, and he started to do that, and you saw the offense move a lot better. Um, but the problem was is that they had the turnovers, and so that kind of did them in. But other than that. Okay, so on offense, uh, you say Hyde. Um, he's a Buckeye. You can't count on him. Uh, so you have Torrey Smith. You can't, you know, he's your only weapon at the wide receiver position, but he's more like a one-trick pony. Uh, he's got speed, Michigan but he's not necessarily the best Wait a minute, hold up. I heard that little Buckeye dig. Now, granted, I told you I don't, I don't, root, I don't root for, but I also know the rules. Because I'm because I'm front because I'm a zip, I'm not allowed to root again. I just wanted to let you know that I did not miss that little dig, Michigan man. I'll, I'll, can I'll, continue I'll on. Talk about. I, continue talk on. About. <laughs> uh, so I mean, the thing is that other than those guys, and I don't even count Hyde as a weapon because he's just not reliable. He has nothing. He has zero weapons. 
Anybody, real quick, name his second his second wide name his leading wide receiver right now. If you're on Twitter, tweet it out me, without googling it. Let me look it up. Let me let me let me go look it up. Not, exactly. Let me not look it up. Exactly. I don't care. You know? And I can and I can tell you it's Jeremy Curley. But I mean, the problem is is that that's all they have. They have nothing. They are completely devoid of talent. I don't care how much you have a Chip Kelly who can scheme all of these things. And I know he went ahead and he took a trash heat in the Philadelphia and turned him into a playoff team his first year there. Listen, he has absolutely nothing to work with. And then on defense, their leader is gone. You know, Navarro Bowman, he's out for the season. And, you know, the bottom line is you have to point the finger directly at Trent Bowden and and um, uh, and the owner uh, I forgot his name uh, Jed York. Yeah, you York. Gotta put, you got to put your you have to really put your finger square in their in their eyeballs because they really screwed this up when they got rid of Harbaugh. You cannot take a guy who had your team running. He had your program running. So what? He ruffled a few feathers when you come in the building. The boy, this isn't a nice guy thing. Okay, this is a results based business. And if you had a guy who was getting you results, you keep that guy happy. It's as simple as that. They decided to go elsewhere. Hey, Troy. And been a failure Troy, I think I think the Niners, the Niners went to a safe zone, and that that's that did the men. They they went yes, to a safe absolutely. zone. You know, with, absolutely. I mean, they killed themselves. They absolutely. basically, like you absolutely. said, you know, he had a proven winner in Harbaugh, with an attitude of winning, and look what he's doing in college. Uh, uh, this is this is the Gruden. Uh, system that happened to the Raiders. Remember the Raiders when they yeah, got they got their absolutely. butts whipped in the Super Bowl after Gruden left, yeah. and and Al Davis says you're out of here. You don't want. I don't want you to tell me what to do. And so this is the same situation here. It's like the owners, you know, the the owner went with the uh, this coach is too hard for us, and we're we're going to let you go. And look where you're at now. You're pretty much a laughing stock. You're 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 falling. Yeah. And so and they, I, I don't know. It's just you know it's a it's it's, well, it's you know based on the perceived. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. The owners keep getting in the way of their own goals. Look at what happened in Dallas. Same thing with Jerry Jones and Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells had Tony Romo. We were on all cylinders. We were clicking. And he was grooming Sean Payton to take over. And what did we get? Chan Gailey. And we didn't get him just for one year. We didn't just get him for two years. We had Chan Gailey for three Long, painful, miserable years. Beautiful years. Agreed. Agreed. Shut it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Hey, I like to have no, Sam Bailey in Los coach. Angeles. I'm just kidding. Yeah, oh gosh. Man. Oh. You right He's now. Great you, on yeah, defense. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Just, just, just run the oh defense. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Hashtag no, fire official roll, baby. Roll. But that's exactly what's happening. You've got these owners, like you said, Troy, this is about results. This isn't, oh, kumbaya, I'm here to be your friend. Now I don't want you to be a rude, obnoxious, disrespectful butthead either. I mean, because obviously these are grown men. But the players were ready to kill. They, they were ready to kill for Harbaugh. It's more so he didn't get along yep. with the GM and the ownership. Right now, the thing exactly. like you heard the stories like when they opened Levi Stadium, and um, Harbaugh basically told his staff not to show up because they had scouting to do. 
And so that rubbed Trip Balky the wrong way. That rubbed Jay York the wrong way. He was just like, look, I don't care about the opening of your stadium. You deal with that. You deal with the whole pom-poms thing. We have we have business to take care of. And, and that, the, things like run. that just didn't sit well with them. And, look, now he's paying for it. And you see, look, mm-hmm. Michigan, the University of Michigan is benefiting greatly from it. So, I mean, me as a Michigan fan, I'm happy this happened. But, you know, looking from it from a football standpoint, I mean, Jed York can't fire himself. So he was the one that signed off on it, so that's why he hasn't fired Trent Balky yet. He's trying to let Trent Balky dig his way out of this. But let me say this also. Chip Kelly is gone after this year. Yes, Lord. You heard it here first. He's gone. And he's not coming back. And I cannot imagine any other NFL team in their right mind that would pick him up. No, because Oregon, the University of Oregon right now, they're struggling with with Mark Helfrich. Uh, that program has gone completely down in the dumps. They're not playing the way they used to. There's going to be an opening in Oregon. Phil Knight has already pretty much signed off on it. Like, if you can bring Chip Kelly back, that'd be great. Listen, if you get Chip Kelly back in Oregon, and it's a possibility that Chip Kelly could keep Mark Elfrich also because Mark Elfrich is the one who actually made that offense that Chip Kelly is, is – Purporting around saying that he invented it That was Mark Helfrich's offense He said possibly he can keep him there And that's what Chip Kelly needs to be at Because then he can be that controlling guy He can control your diet He can tell you when to pee He can tell you when you're going to go places He can tell you you can't go out party You can't do your that own NFL, And that's why it's not working Exactly Your own yeah. scholarship yeah. How about Dan Quinn uh, Troy Dan Quinn I mean, pretty successful in Atlanta. He's showing what he can do now with uh, Matt Ryan. They're six and three. We talked about the, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the year how the sleeper was going to be the Raiders, and now we're looking at Atlanta pretty much as a sleeper team. Uh, yeah. You know, midway through the season here, so uh, I, I really think that division is now owned by them because, uh, you know, Carolina winning yeah, at LA that was no surprise for us. We already knew that. Uh, the Saints are still in the mix. The Saints are kind of like Green Bay in a lot of ways. They're, you know, they're mm-hmm. up and up, up and down, up and down, but they're, you know, they're still, they're still a playoff contender if they get into a winning streak here within the next couple of weeks. But, but what do we think of Atlanta at this point? I am well, surprised at Shanny. In all honesty, I'm surprised that the younger Shanahan is getting it done because truthfully, and Troy, you you feel free to jump in. I was looking at him and his whole offensive scheme, and it's a total debacle, both for um, RG three and for Kirk Cousins. And I just totally left bewildered and befuddled. And even Matt Ryan said, "I don't know what he's doing, but for whatever reason, something is working." And those two are clicking, and he says, I now trust his offensive schemes. That blew me away. So that that's my answer to well, Atlanta. When it comes down to Kyle Shanahan, I'm not surprised at all. Um, he is about as inventive as you can get at the coaching position. He understands how to use his players. The problem is that last year, uh, they did. They're doing. They did last year with the Vikings is doing right now. They started off five and zero, and then all of a sudden they just jumped right off, fell right off the shelf. Um, this, last year, what they did not have was a compliment to Julio Jones. Now they do. You have Muhammad Sanu. You have some of the younger players that are coming on that they can stretch the field. Um, you, you have 
now you ha- you don't just have uh, one running back. You have two running backs that you put back there. Um, so they have so many weapons on that offense. It's very hard to stop them. And the one thing that you always know from a Shanahan uh, team, whether it be from the son or from the father, they're going to run the football. And the fact that they can run the football opens up so many things down downfield for Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. Right now, Matt Ryan already at 2,900 yards. It's, he's only played nine games. He's on the pace right now, just a torrid pace. He's on the pace right now to get over 5,000 yards passing very easily. This guy right now is having an MVP season. The problem that I see with Atlanta, now they're going to win their division, I believe. I think New Orleans is going to challenge them as, as they usually do. But I think they're going to win that division. But the problem is going forward, they have so many holes on defense. They're inconsistent with the pass rush, way too many flags in that secondary, even though they have superior athletes back there, some young guys with Keanu Neal. And uh, the way that they play on the cornerback position, it, that bothers me right there. So, Going forward, they can score with anybody. That's no doubt about that. Who are they going to be able to stop? And are they going to be able to keep that going? Are they going to be that team that they were last year where down the stretch they kind of faltered? We'll see going forward. But this year it looks like they have a stockpile of better better weapons than they did last year. And he's spreading the ball, and I think that's a key right there versus having to rely on Julio almost on every down. They're, They're spreading the ball more often than not. Uh, you know, to Sanu, to Gabriel, and Hooper. Um, so he's got weapons to spread the ball, and if the balance attack, like you said, with with Freeman in the backfield, it really helps, you know, to kind of like take the load off the passing game, even though he's getting more red zone uh, results. And I think that's the key right there, the, the fact that he's getting red zone results in the end. Yeah, I mean, you, you put points on the board, other teams can't beat you. It's that simple. And, you know, when you have this team going up and down the field like they do, it's just hard to stop right now. And so, you know, looking forward, they have some pretty tough games coming up. You got the Eagles, um, you know, coming up on the 13th this week. And then they have the bye week, and then they have the Cardinals. They're an up and down team. You got the Chiefs. You have to, you have to play them at home. And, you know, it, it gets a little bit easier going down the stretch with the Rams, 49ers, and Panthers. And then you end up you end up the season with the Saints. So they, you know, it, it's going to be a mixed bag for them. Are they going to be able to sustain this? That's the biggest question. So let's move on to college basketball at this point. Um, let's talk Heisman right now. I, I think everybody has got some a favorite, and, uh, and some people probably have others, but. Um, who's our, who's going to be at the top favorite right now? Who who would put, you put him in the in the running for top favorite? Uh, you know, you have a lot of people who kind of want to interject, you know, names into the conversation. Um, going forward, to me, you still have you know you, you still have the same guys at top right now, and so I my mind hasn't changed. If you watch Louisville play, they're just, you know, they're just that much better than everyone else, you know. So uh, people want to throw out Jabril, Jabril, uh, excuse me, Jabril Peppers from Michigan. And while he is making plays, you know, and he's making plays at a variety of different positions, um, you also want to throw up uh, Washington's quarterback. 
they're making plays out there in, in, the, in the Pacific Southwest, and they're going to be a tough out, you know, coming down the stretch, especially with the college playoffs. But for me, things haven't, things haven't changed up at the top. When you're looking at it, you know, the, the Michael Vick clone, nobody's better than this kid. He's just he's just that much better than everyone else. So for me, it hasn't changed uh, very much. You might see, um, you might see Jalen Hurts start to get mentioned uh, for the quarterback for Alabama because he's played in so many big spots. But for me, uh, you know, the, the Heisman race hasn't changed not one bit. Everybody in nine and zero now in the top five. That's sort of what we expected anyways from last when we discussed it last about the playoffs. So Alabama still holds its position at one. Clemson, uh, Michigan, as you have talked about before. Washington still at 9-0. and uh, And then in the top ten, we got Penn State, Auburn, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, Louisville, Ohio State. Um, any, any surprises here from, like, let's say the top 20 moving into the top ten? I mean, you got what do you have in the middle? Uh, Virginia Tech. You got Florida State. Uh, what else? You got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, what, what do you see? Maybe who, who do you see bumping up into the top ten? Right now, I see Auburn. Um, Auburn's on a bit of a tear. I mean, the beginning of the season, they look pretty bad against Clemson. Now, Clemson is a you know top team in the, in the nation. But they just look completely inept. But that Auburn team has turned it around even after the two losses that they've had. They're up to number nine at this point, and they're looking forward to that Iron Bowl game against uh, Alabama at the end of the year. That you know that battle in Alabama, you know, and that's the you know the interstate rivalry with these guys. So Auburn Alabama is always the biggest game of the year, uh, you know, in the state of Alabama. And when that game comes up, Auburn looks formidable, and you know. Listen, Alabama is about as tough as you can get. They are the absolute class of college football. There's no doubt about it. But Auburn has beaten them before. Auburn is not afraid of Alabama. They have no mystique when it comes to it. So when you look at it from that standpoint, Auburn could completely flip the whole college football world upside down if they can come out with that upset there. And I'm just looking forward to that, seeing that at the end of the year. I'm also surprised at looking at Penn State. Penn State, that huge win from Ohio State seemed to just really fuel this team. They look like they've got everything going in the right direction where it looked initially like in the beginning of the year that program was starting to falter. They look like they got things right on track. And also it's good to see the Colorado Buffaloes. They, in the beginning of the year, who knew that they were going to be this tough? They played Michigan really well. They were an injured quarterback away from winning that football game, in my opinion, and they gave Michigan their biggest run who has been on a torrid pace right now. But Colorado may be looking like the Pac-12 beast. But, you know, of course, they have that Washington Huskies team up there that they eventually may have to play at some point. And we'll see, um, you know, how all that pans out if they make it to the Pac-12 championship game. Can you guys hear me? Hello? I can hear you. Oh, you got um... – Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. I was like, I was trying to talk, and I was, I was, well, I wanted to ask you a question because you were talking about Auburn, and I know that um, it's been a while since we've even really heard their name, you know, mentioned. Everybody's 
names that everybody's always been throwing out really for the past couple of years has been Oregon, State, Michigan, um, uh, of course, Alabama. And um, so and you were saying that Auburn isn't really scared of them. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it is it the whole familiarity of that rivalry or what? Yeah, it's the familiarity of the rivalry is that most of those guys who grew up in the state of Alabama that go to either Alabama or Auburn have seen the players across the field before. Um, Auburn has beaten Alabama in, in several instances the past few years, most notably that uh, Alabama tried to kick a long field goal and Auburn caught it in the back of the end zone, ran it back for a touchdown for the final play of the game which was right. enormous. It was a, just a fantastic game that happened three years ago. So I remember that. Th- yeah, and, and Auburn, that's that's what I mean by Auburn isn't afraid. When you see these interstate rivalries, all the records go out of the window, all the, all the other talk, all the rankings, all of that stuff that goes out of the window, and these guys just aren't afraid. And you see that with these teams like Alabama versus Auburn, like when you see a Michigan-Ohio State play, like when you see a Clemson versus South Carolina. Um, uh, you know, when you see these rivalries, Texas versus uh, Oklahoma, Texas versus Texas A&M, when you see these rivalries come down the pipe like that, all the records go out of the window, and these guys just flat out just get after it. And it's no fear at that point. You just want to beat that other team so bad. So I have a question. What about the Florida the, the Florida Big Three teams? Because while they've stayed around in the top twenty five, you know, um, schools and, and maybe even the top thirty, the U, Florida State, and the Florida Gators, they haven't really been the powerhouses that they were in the you know the two thousands. And why do you think? or even the 90s, why do you think that the Florida teams have been so inconsistent in falling on and off? Well, I mean, all three of those teams were highly ranked at some point. Like Miami, they peaked out at the number 10 position at one point. They lost to the – they actually lost to Florida State, which kind of put them into a tailspin. Florida State was ranked number two. They were crushed this season uh, when they went to play Louisville and Lamar Jackson, who was – leading the Heisman Trophy candidate right now. Right. And then you also had the University of Florida who lost this past weekend. And so, you know, you see the inconsistency with those teams. And over the years, since you've seen them be inconsistent, Florida doesn't have, you know, the uh, high school Florida recruits are now starting to go elsewhere to look for other schools. You see a, a big Florida contingent going to Ohio State. Uh, you see okay. a big Florida contingent going to uh, Alabama, LSU. So no longer are the, those three teams basically just hoarding all the best talent in the state of Florida when you see other teams, um, you know, when they say, you know, hey, we can go to another place and we can play for a much better team than the program that we have right now. But Miami, University of Miami is coming back. So, you know, they they have a new coaching staff. They're working some things out. I'm surprised that they actually got to the number 10 ranking. But next year, with that great recruiting class that they have coming in, Florida State, the same thing. They have a great recruiting class coming in as well, as they usually do. Those three, those teams are going to bounce back, but are they going to be like it is what used to be in the past where they were consistently in the top five? Maybe not. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, uh, Troy, are you surprised that Washington moves into number four on the, on the CP, uh, CPF rankings? Does that surprise you that uh, ahead of, like, let's say, Ohio State at this point? 
Not at all. Uh, and number one, uh, Washington's undefeated. Um, now people want to question their schedule. And the one thing that's really hurting Washington is that their biggest win this season came from Stanford, and Stanford has completely just fell off the tracks ever since that win. So, you know, that's that's actually hurting them at this point. Washington is still undefeated, though. And so the way that they've played, and they've, they've played well against everything that they've gone against, they've scored the ball very well. You're starting to have them come out with a, a, a possibly a Heisman Trophy candidate and Jake Browning, the quarterback that they have there. And they're going to play some tougher teams going down the stretch. This weekend they have uh, University of Southern Cal. They've got to, they have to play USC. And the USC has now vaulted into the rankings at the number 20 spot. And then, of course, at the end of the year, they have to play Washington State in the Apple Cup. And then, of course, you have the Pac-12 championship game. So they have more than enough chances right now to bolster what, you know, most people would look like as a weak schedule in a weak Pac-12. Um, they have more than enough chances right now to, to bolster their looks that they have right there. But if they continue to win out, there's no way you can justify moving Ohio State, a one-loss team who lost to Penn State, in front of the Washington Huskies, who was an undefeated team and has played very well throughout the whole season. So where do you see the top five at this point? The same for next week? Uh, are we looking at not much of a change there? Um because Clemson is number two or number three in the final rankings, whether depending on which rankings you're looking at, so that wouldn't change much as far as you know as far as matchups, right? Um, so number what number one? Uh, I'm starting to look at here still Ohio State and Wisconsin on their I think on their schedule, so that uh, that puts Clemson probably we're at at this point. Uh, Clemson right now in the in the in the bowl championship, uh, excuse me, in the playoffs um, situation, they they're going to be at number two, uh, right in front of Michigan, uh, and and rightfully so. They've had huge games. They beat Florida State uh, when Florida State was just getting back to themselves. They beat Louisville when Louisville was ranked number two. Every test that they've had, they've passed it. So you have to give them the nod when it comes to the to the uh, power rankings at that point. Alabama, enough said. They're playing the toughest division in college football, bar none. And every challenge that they've been met with, they beat them all. And listen, they just right now they're the absolute class of the college football. I don't see that changing at any point in time. But they do have a Mississippi State team who is um, who's. You know, they're pretty happy with themselves right now after beating the outmanned Texas A&M team who was ranked number four last week. Now, they did beat that team, you know, when uh, when their quarterback went down. And, you know, and so that, that game kind of went off the rails at that point. But it's a possibility that Mississippi State can beat them. I just don't think it's very likely. Of course, anybody has a chance. With Michigan – they're going into Iowa. So they have to go into Iowa City next week, and that is going to be a tough game. I mean, Iowa is a tough football team. They're not as formidable as they were last year when they were definitely ranked in the playoff series for a long time. Um, but they're still tough. And anytime you're playing a road game in the Big Ten, you never know what could happen. And, you know, to um, finalize that out, you have uh, – you have Washington, and they're going to they're going to be at home in Seattle to play USC, who is just now starting to get their stuff back together. Can USC come up there and upset Washington in Seattle? It's going to, it's always a tough place to play, whether you're playing the Seattle Seahawks or you're playing the Washington Huskies. Anytime you go into that into that city, 
it is extremely tough to play. So it's always going to be something to watch with those top four right there. I don't really see the top four rankings changing this week. I just think these four teams are probably going to go ahead and mash it out until the end of the season, and then we'll see it play out from there. So, uh, Troy, Texas A&M, based on their loss to Mississippi, uh, what I'm reading is they, that would put them out of pretty much any, any hopes for uh, contention, right, for any playoff contention at this point. Um, going, you know, going in that aspect. Yeah, and and in reality, even though Texas A&M was ranked number four, they weren't going to make it in. Um, for them to make it into the playoff series, they would have had to have Alabama lose twice because Alabama beat Texas A&M head to head. So even if Alabama would have lost the game, Alabama would still be in front of Texas A&M in the standings and would get to play for the SEC championship game. So one way or the other, Texas A&M, we're going to have to go ahead and take a seat back unless those three teams that are, you know, Clemson, Michigan, and Washington all lost, and that would be the only way that Texas A&M would be able to get in. Uh, so, yeah, they took that loss, and that was, a, that was a huge thing for them. So, I mean, they still had a shot, obviously, but for them taking that loss there or two-loss team, you could pretty much write them out of the championship, out of the playoff unless – something really crazy happens within the top six teams. What do you think of uh, the Buffaloes in Colorado? I mean, they they look pretty strong right now. They beat UCLA last week, which I wasn't a happy camper about. But um, Colorado has that one-game lead in the Pac-12 South over uh, USC and Utah. Um, so if they sort of win out, I guess, if they, if they win out their final three, they pretty much secure themselves – maybe into a playoff ranking? Yeah, and their two losses right now are, you know, against Michigan, who was ranked number four at the time, and they lost to USC, who is now ranked. So that looks that looks like what, you, what we just discussed last week about a good loss. So right now they look like they had a few good losses. Now, if they went out and they can, you know, they, right now they could possibly make it to – the um, the Pac-12 uh, championship game because they are leading in the South Division as you alluded to. If they continue to win out, that's it. I mean, you know, they get to play Washington. Now, if they can beat Washington, I mean, that really throws a lot of things in flux. I think still though, even though you still have those two good losses, quote unquote, I just think it'll still be hard for them to make the playoff. But that doesn't preclude them from making it to the Rose Bowl, which would be a great secondary prize for a Colorado team who was not expected to do much this year. And right now, almost, well, they're ranked in the top ten right now. And now Nebraska, big fall for Nebraska this week, based on what the two polls that I was looking at. They're, they're, you know, they get they get basically dominated by Ohio State, uh, so it's a big loss for them, you know, to Ohio State. They've dropped two in a row. Their quarterback uh, was taken off a stretcher, and then he and apparently he comes back uh, later. You know, he's, he's, I guess he's okay. But um, so the Huskers get a major major scare there, and then so at this point it puts Wisconsin in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. So uh, I, I'm assuming at this point Nebraska continues to fall, especially after the, uh, their quarterback being knocked out, unless they got something better to you know substitute in. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, and, and it's a, it was a bad thing for 
um, you know, to have that happen is just oddly similar to what Texas A&M just had to go through. I mean, you saw what happened, you know, dropping in the rankings. The problem is, is that what you had was an Ohio State team who smelled blood in the war. And so Ohio State looked at that as a opportunity to try to impress the voters. And, and, and the thing is, is when you have voters who are voting on top ten, top five, and also the playoff teams a lot, this year, if they didn't watch the game, what they did was look at the score. And they saw when Ohio State, you know, scored 62 points on the number ten team in the nation, where if you looked at that game, you know, you would see that, you know, if the starting quarterback goes out, that's, you know, that typically is not a good thing. So when Tommy Armstrong went down, that just, you know, sent that whole team into a tailspin. The problem with Nebraska is, is again, that they've, they've lost twice now. So do they have a chance to, um, you know, still go to the Big Ten championship game? Absolutely. Right now they're tied at the top of the conference uh, between Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so, those th- those three teams are going to have to hash it out. Wisconsin has the tiebreaker over Nebraska because they beat them head to head, and I believe Wisconsin and and uh, Minnesota have to hash their their differences out uh, sooner or later. Just looking at the schedule here, and yeah, at the end of the season, Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, you know, they get to go ahead and hash that out to see who who actually could win that division. So that's going to be a great way to shape up the Big Ten at the end of this year, man. It's classic games coming up. Michigan, Ohio State, and then you got Wisconsin, Minnesota to see who goes basically to the uh, Big Ten championship game. So we got Thursday night game. Uh, we got set number 17, North Carolina, taking on Duke on ESPN. Uh, Friday, you got number 18, Florida State, taking on Boston College, also uh, on, on ESPN2. Um, what do we got? Oklahoma taking on Baylor on Saturday. Alabama, I'm assuming not going to have an issue with Mississippi. That's going to be on ESPN. Um, what is the other games that you are – what's your top three this, this week that we need to watch or keep keep an eye on? Uh, one of the games that I wanted to see was that USC-Washington game. Um, that's going to be on Saturday night on Fox, and that's going to be a big Pac-12 game. I mean, the Pac-12 has been taking some punches to the gut, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, their viability in the conference. And basically out of the big – out of the Power Five conferences, they are looking at it as the weak link. And so, you know, they get a chance to, you know, make a, you know, Put put some headlines out there. Either one of those teams, and so it'll be a great class for them. Also, want to see this Baylor Oklahoma game. Um, now Oklahoma is really trying to sneak back into the conversation as far as you know would they deserve a playoff contention. So Oklahoma, they've lost to uh, Florida State, and then they also lost to uh, Ohio State. So those were big losses, but they lost to that's, that's that's proverbial, you know, good loss, bad loss thing. But they haven't lost a conference game yet, and so that bodes well for them. So for them to be in that position to possibly win the Big Twelve and go undefeated in their conference, that still allows them to put themselves in the conversation if some things kind of shake out well for them. Baylor's reeling right now. Um, I'm actually surprised that they it took this long for them to fall off the you know, fall off the shelf because they 
they just aren't as explosive as an offense as they used to be. They can't seem to pass the ball. Seth Russell, he just he's not as effective as he was last year. They're running the ball very well, but they just aren't the same team that they used to be in the past, and it possibly has something to do with, you know, their coaches basically being fired last year. So, and they have a new coaching staff. So, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. I want to see how Bella, has, you know, uh, finishes out the end of the year. What's another game that we got to watch for? Uh, the third game, pretty much, at this weekend. Uh, the third game, I would say, you got to say Auburn and Georgia. Um, Auburn, again, they, they, they're on a high street. And with that Georgia team who have been up and down this whole year, they're still, you know, bringing in, they're also bringing in their new staff. Um, so you want to see how they transition. But a lot of people don't understand how big of a game this is, not just from the, you know, from the record standpoint, but from a recruiting standpoint. Both of these teams are notoriously great at recruiting. And then the FCC is at a premium. And so Auburn right now, um, they're on the upswing. And so you start to see recruits take notice. And a lot of times um, when you have these teams, um, like in the FCC, where you're deciding whether or not you're going to LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Florida, a lot of times it depends on, you know, how these teams ended up, how they finish up and how they're playing on the field. And so if Georgia can make a good showing, they can show that they, they have their top recruits. They can show that they're actually on the right track. And you also want to see how Auburn is going to put themselves. Are they going to look forward? You are, you know, you're playing with college kids. So are they still looking forward, even though that game is, is, is three or four weeks out, are they looking forward to looking at Alabama before they finish out playing the Georgia team that they should outmatch each all right, so it's going to be a pretty exciting weekend of college uh, football. And if you want to follow Troy, at Troy Wilson underscore one. Uh, if you follow the Cowboy Nation on NFL Sunday, uh, you can follow uh, Kishi's Cuties. And you can stay up to date on Cowboys Nation as well as every other aspect of the NFL game day. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's one of those weeks, week nine, halfway through the season, it's getting more exciting, you know, in terms of, who's going to make the playoffs, who's going to push for the playoffs, and then, you know, who's underperforming at this point. So, um, you know, we talked about, you know, like the Browns and the Niners at this point. So, I mean, at this point you would think those teams are really what they're – are they are they just cutting their men's at this point and looking forward to 2017 in that in the aspect of it? Because, I mean, I, I'm looking at my Rams and I'm thinking it's just, it's just a lost cause. They're, I mean, they just – I don't see them really contending at this point going into the playoffs. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it just it, the division out West for me, like in my division, I mean, unless the, uh, the Cardinals somehow continue to fall down, uh, the Rams and pretty much the Niners are pretty much out of, out of the playoff picture. So, um, what do you, what are you guys feeling at this point? Um, you know, Seattle owns the West. If we take a look at what it is right now, obviously the Cowboys on the East, uh, we're looking at Minnesota owning the north, um, and uh, Atlanta owning the south. Uh, what, what's your picture in the AFC, uh, Troy? Who owns those top, you know, top uh, division in terms of the as a nod for the playoffs? Well, you got to look at the New England Patriots. I mean, I don't, think, I don't see another more. There's not a more consistent team in the AFC than that team right there. 
I mean, Tom Brady, I, I, I mean, everyone knew it. You put this guy on a four-game suspension if you want to. You know what he's going to come back and do to you. He's going to tear the league up, and every team that they have to play is going to pay for it. And, and that's what he's doing right now. And then, you know, I don't care who you trade. I mean, they made that huge trade, you know, to the – well, I don't know if you want to call it a huge trade. Um, you know, they traded Jamie Collins to the Browns, you know, basically for a bag of donuts, you know, and and they just, they, they're just going to move right on. They're just going to keep marching on because they – they prepare their players better than anyone else, and it's hard to mimic it. You have all of these guys that you know that's come out of there. Romeo Cornell, um, uh, what's the kid's name who actually came back there? Um, I forget his name. Uh, but you have so many of these guys that left that program. Bill Bradley uh, that leave that program and, and go elsewhere, and they can't duplicate what Bill Belichick does. He is about as solid as you can get. He's probably the best coach that's ever coached the game. Anytime he's on that sideline, I just feel like the Patriots have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and this season is no different. So are we looking at Raiders and Broncos in the fight in the West then? And then you got you got obviously the Patriots out of the East. In the South, is it Houston at this point? Would we give it to Houston? I wouldn't give it to Houston right now. I would say – I would say Indianapolis is is starting to get an uptick also. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, they're not tough at all on defense. Um, but they seem to make plays when they needed to, and you saw that against the, the Packers last week. Um, all of those teams have, have issues. Uh, Tennessee kind of dropped the ball this past weekend against San Diego. We all thought that they were going to win that game, but uh, they just don't have enough weapons either. Actually, you know what? I'm going to have to change it. I'm going to have to say it probably will be Houston. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry, man. I can't do it. i got to say Indianapolis. Brock Osweiler is the worst quarterback in the NFL. He is awful. He is just god awful. Yeah, he's awful, for sure. Watching him, I felt sick to my stomach. I had to turn the TV off because I could not watch him play another down of football. And I'm not even joking. Like, I had to leave, man. So, yeah, I can't, I can't pick that team. I got to go with Indianapolis. All right. And, you know, when the um, AFC, we're gonna West, move... AFC West, you got to give it to the Raiders, man. The Raiders beat the Broncos. I mean, yeah, it was in Oakland. But, man, who saw this coming? I mean, except Kishi, of course. Kishi saw it coming. But I didn't see this coming at all. I didn't see them being that good. I thought right at this point right now they had been maybe 6-3 at the, at, at the best. At best. But I just, I mean, they're playing just outright great football right now, so you got to give it up to them. And their D's not too bad with uh, Mac getting his lickings already. So that was that was really good to see. Yeah, the defense is playing. You know, they 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 play sparingly well. They they have a great defensive line. Uh, they have some serious issues in in the defensive backfield. I mean, David Emerson is the reason why the Redskins kind of gave him up. Uh, I, I'm not impressed by the way he's playing. Uh, Hayden right now, he's taking over for, for Sean Smith, who came over from Kansas City. So, you know, they have some issues back there in their secondary, and they played a, a team last week in, in the Broncos who just, you know, they're they're okay at throwing the ball, but they obviously have to get better with the first-year quarterback. But, you know, we'll, we'll see going forward. But the Raiders can can outscore people. And I just think that they caught Denver at the right time. Yeah, Akeem Tlaib was out. 
And, you know, I think that played a huge role in how they played. But, I mean, just give, give the Raiders credit. They ran the ball. They bludgeoned, they, they bludgeoned the nose of the Broncos. And I just think that, you know, that put a big feather in their cap and gave them all the confidence in the world going forward. All right, and with that note, we're going to move over down under. They got the women's uh, women's gridiron recap, uh, gridiron Queensland, and so the playoffs begin uh, starting, I believe, next week. And we got some big games playing off here. Uh, week it was week thirteen. It was on November fifth. We had the Spartans defeated the Raptors in a forfeit, uh, ended their season already, and they had a good season, three uh, three wins in a row. The, the, the third win, if you consider the forfeit, you know, a big win. But overall, they finished the season strong with three strong wins. Um, the week before, they beat the Saints 32 to 32 to 12, and then the week before that, they beat uh, the Thunder 40, 14 to 0, which is probably one of their highlight victories of the season. Then you have the champs taking on the Ravens, Bayside, 44 to 12. And so they took care of that. Uh, Lauren Evans and company, uh, C.J. Sims, and everybody just uh, t- took care of the Ravens out there with Grace Power and Lucy Jarrett, including with the Bayside Ravens. Then you have the Thunder, the Griffith Thunder, defeating the Saints, 38 to 0. So the playoffs are starting in uh, Queensland this coming week as the, the results came in. The uh, Stingrays uh, were 9-0 and to finish the season with one draw. The Jets were 8-0 and with two draws. Uh, the Ravens are 6-3-1. and And then Thunder, 5-5. Five and five. Top four make the playoffs at this point. So uh, the playoffs have not been um, disclosed in terms of who's going to go with what. But if we go to 1-4 and four at this point, it would be the Champs taking on the Thunder. And it would be the uh, Logan City Jets taking on the Bayside Ravens. Uh, the Ravens and Jets were the ones that uh, finished up week eight in a 36-36 to 36 draw. So uh, the matchup there is very, very good for a rematch. So, Troy, uh, coming into this game, uh, the Jets basically had basically uh, last week they were off, I mean, for the bye week. Now they get ready to face a team that they equaled in a draw. I mean, very tough in terms of a Ravens team. And the Ravens are coming off a 44-12 to 12 spanking by the Rays. So it just goes to show you here uh, who's going to be the hungry animal here. They know they can, they can play with uh, Logan City, so it's going to be a matter of who wants it more to go to Summer Bowl 2017. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get a chance to, to play a team and you, you know you can play with them, that just bodes well for confidence. So it's basically going to come down to Who's going to make the, the the bigger mistakes, and and can you limit or force some some of those turnovers going forward in the game? You think it's going to hurt Bayside based on the fact that they got beat by uh, Gold Coast so badly, forty four to twelve, and and that, Gold Coast is an outstanding team. They're putting up points, so I'm just talking about emotions here. You, or you think they're going to wash that loss away and just going to go, hey, we can compete with them. We we put them at a draw. Now this is for all the marbles. This is basically, at this point, it's going to be for the birth to the final. Well, on paper, yeah. But, I mean, this is where, you know, we discussed this a lot during, you know, uh, uh, during the LFL season is when it comes down to leadership. What is the leadership on that team? And so if you have great leadership, 
and you can get that team focused on the goal in hand and forgetting what happened the last week. And, and coaches have so many different ways of doing it. You see coaches throw up the film. You see coaches uh, say, forget about that last game. Let's just go ahead and go forward and accentuate on the positives. You know, or they can play on their emotions and say, listen, this team embarrassed you. Are you going to stand there and let them, you know, take advantage of you like that? Or are you going to stand up and fight? So I mean, there's different ways that the coaches can go about it. But that, you know, coaches have to know their players. So you have to find that kind of leadership and, and move forward with that. And on the, on the other side, you've got the champions looking for back-to-back titles right here. And they're taking on the Thunder. Thunder finished at 500. The last time they met was basically back in week eight where the Stingrays defeated the Thunder 30-12. to 12. So, uh, you know, the Thunder coming into this, this is a shot at the final. So they either got to up their game to stay competitive with the race, and Gold Coast pretty much understands better than anybody this is their return ticket to, uh, you know, a, a dynasty. I mean, it's back-to-back championships here. They've, they, this organization is – has gotten championships before, so there are no strangers to getting here, and there's no strangers to finishing. So the challenge will be for the the Thunder to really up their game. Yeah, I mean they're they're, they're the beast. They're the beast. There's no doubt about that. And so you know they they cast a big shadow on in, in, in that women's division. And to have them, you know you. You're gonna to have to just you're gonna to have to physically beat them. I mean, they're pretty much the Alabama of of their of their of their conference of that Queensland uh, of that Queensland um, that league. So, who's gonna step up? Who's gonna who's gonna beat them? There? Who's gonna beat them down? Who's gonna who's really gonna step up and make this happen? So, you again, you have it comes down to leadership. Who, who's gonna be able to make it happen? All right, and then we go. We move to FXX Mexico, and you can go follow us on our Facebook page there for the results this week. Uh, they'll have them posted in the middle of the week here, FXX Mexico, and we'll have them up on our Facebook page. Uh, Lexfa Mexico, uh, week, uh, week six begins this coming weekend, but week five results, it was the Jets blowing out the Harlequin Quinn 56-0. The Niners finally fall from the undefeated stages. And uh, it was a clash of undefeated, and the uh, Vaqueros Chokilco, uh won 48-43, the edge, the Niners. So the, t- the top team remains Vaqueros. The Niners come in really strong, and they get edged by five points. A very, very good offensive assault uh, on both sides. Uh, they played really well defensively. Obviously a weaker state there for both teams, but high-powered 48-43. Then on the other side, the Jaguars, back-to-back weeks in wins. 33 to 20 against the Eagles at this point. Uh, high voltage loses to Santarios, 46 to 13. The Frailes uh, win 14 to zero. Um, we're looking at 19 Valkyrias, 19, and the Cardinals, eight. You also had Angels, 40, and the Gladiators, which I, I've been saying before, they got to change their name. They're getting romped every week, 40 to zero this week. Uh, just not a fitting name for them. They got to step up their game at this point. Um, they're just they're just getting whomped every week, and I know they're probably trying, but technically the name just doesn't fit the bill at this point. Um, so if we go to Division One ranking here, before we get out of here in Lexfa, uh, it's going to be four and zero, undefeated still. The Vaqueros, the Niners fall to three and one. The Black uh, Dolphins three and one. The Jets 
two and two, and the Frailies two and two. The Avengers one and three. Division two. We're looking at the undefeated Vicarious as well. Uh, the Legionnaires who had the week off three zero oh, and one, and then you had the uh, Jaguars three and one, the Centurials three and one, the uh, Vicarious two and two, Harley Quinn two and two, the Eagles and everybody else at one and three, and then the uh, Gladiators and High Voltage just winless on the season. So get everything uh, up to date on Lexfa and follow us on Twitter at Lexfa L E X F A. You can get all the stats and the schedule at arenafootball.com.mx, arenafootball.com.mx. For Gridiron Queensland, you can go to the uh, Gridiron Queensland. Just search Gridiron Queensland on your uh, Google or Bing, and you can get the latest information there. Pretty exciting times. We'll get the posted uh, previews going up on our Facebook page at Gridiron Beauties, and as well as we'll keep tabs also on Twitter. So, uh, Troy and Kichi, it's been great. Election night's over. Uh, it's basically everybody, I hope everybody did their part and voted. Uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend of NFL action plus college football. We got to look forward to as well. And the Queens, Great Iron Queensland playoffs coming up next week, as well as week six in Lexfa and week six in FX Mexico. So a lot of football coming up. Yeah, definitely looking forward to the weekend. You know, my Redskins are back off the bye week. To see if they can go ahead and make another run like they did last year. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait to see that Dallas-New York Giants game. NFC East football is back, baby. I love it. That's the way you're supposed to play football there. All right. So, um, I don't know if uh, Kishi's with us. Are you still with us, Kishi? She might be out. Um, so for uh, Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our uh, podcast here on Block Talk Radio. Just use the follow button. You can always listen to us on replay anytime you want. And you can follow us on Twitter at Great Iron Beauty. Follow Troy at Troy Wilson underscore one. And Kishi at Kishi's Cuties. As well as you can follow us on Ultimate Sports Talk. So uh, next week, it's going to be a pretty exciting week. So for Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez, and for Kishi Free, uh, we'll see you here next week as we talk more football. Week 10 in the NFL plus college football playoffs. Have a great uh, weekend, everybody. Safe travels out there, and go out and vote if you haven't today. See you, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.